Section 6 of Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Pamela Krantz. Around the World on a Bicycle, Volume 1. Chapter 3, Through Mormon Land and Over the Rockies, Part 2. Next day I pass the world-renowned castellated rocks of Green River and stop for the night at Rock Springs, where the Union Pacific Railway Company has extensive coal mines. On calling for my bill at the hotel here next morning, the proprietor, a corpulent Teuton, whose thoughts, words, and actions run entirely to beer, replies, Twenty-five cents a quart. Thinking my hearing apparatus is at fault, I inquire again. Twenty-five cents a quart and furnish your own gan. The bill is abnormally large, but as I hand over the amount, a loaded schooner is shoved under my nose, as though a glass of beer were a tranquilizing antidote for all the ills of life. Splendid level alkali flats abound east of Rock Springs, and I bowl across them at a lively pace until they terminate and my route follows up Bitter Creek, where the surface is just the reverse, being seamed and furrowed as if it had just emerged from a devastating flood. It is said that the teamster who successfully navigated the route up Bitter Creek considered himself entitled to be called a tough cuss from Bitter Creek on wheels with a perfect education. A justifiable regard for individual rights would seem to favor my own assumption of this distinguished title after traversing the route with a bicycle. Ten o'clock next morning finds me leaning on my wheel, surveying the scenery from the Continental Divide, the backbone of the continent. Facing the north, all waters at my right hand flow to the east, and all on my left flow to the west, the one eventually finding their way to the Atlantic the other to the Pacific. This spot is a broad low pass through the Rockies, more plain than mountain, but from which a most commanding view of numerous mountain chains are obtained. To the north and northwest are the Seminole, Wind River, and Sweetwater Ranges, bold, rugged mountain chains, filling the landscape of the distant north with a mass of great jagged rocky piles, grand beyond conception their main snowy peaks peopling the blue ethery space above with ghostly spectral forms well calculated to inspire with feelings of awe and admiration a lone cycler who standing in silence and solitude profound on the great continental divide looks and meditates on what he sees other hoary monarchs are visible to the east which however we shall get acquainted with later on down grade is the rule now and were there a good road, what an enjoyable coast it would be, down from the Continental Divide, but half of it has to be walked. About eighteen miles from the Divide I am greatly amused, and not a little astonished, at the strange actions of a coyote that comes trotting in a leisurely confidential way toward me. And when he reaches a spot commanding a good view of my road, he stops and watches my movements, with an air of the greatest inquisitiveness and assurance. He stands and gazes as I trundle along, not over fifty yards away, 
and he looks so much like a well-fed collie that I actually feel like patting my knee for him to come and make friends. Shoot at him? Certainly not. One never abuses a confidence like that. He can come and rub his sleek coat up against the bicycle if he likes, and bloodthirsty rascal though he no doubt is, I will never fire at him. He has as much right to gaze in astonishment at a bicycle as anybody else who never saw one before. Staying overnight and the next day at Rollins, I make the sixteen miles to Port Fred Steele next morning before breakfast, there being a very good road between the two places. This fort stands on the west bank of North Platte River, and a few miles west of the river I ride through the first prairie dog town encountered in crossing the continent from the west, though I shall see plenty of these interesting little fellows during the next three hundred miles. These animals sit near their holes and excitedly bark at whatever goes past. Never before have they had an opportunity to bark at a bicycle, and they seem to be making the most of their opportunity. I see at this village none of the small speckled owls which, with the rattlesnake, make themselves so much at home in the prairie dog's comfortable quarters, but I see them farther east. These three strangely assorted companions may have warm affections toward each other, but one is inclined to think the great bond of sympathy that binds them together is the tender regard entertained by the owl and the rattlesnake for the nice tender young prairie pups that appear at intervals to increase the joys and cares of the elder animals. I am now getting on to the famous Laramie Plains, and Elk Mountain looms up not over ten miles to the south, a solid towery mass of black rocks and dark pine forests that stands out bold and distinct from surrounding mountain chains, as though some animate thing conscious of its own strength and superiority. A snowstorm is raging on its upper slopes, obscuring that portion of the mountain, but the dark forest-clad slopes near the base are in plain view, and also the rugged peak which elevates its white-crowned head above the storm, and reposes peacefully in the bright sunlight, in striking contrast to the warring elements lower down. I have heard old hunters assert that this famous landmark of the Rockies is hollow, and that they have heard wolves howling inside the mountain, but some of these old western hunters see and hear strange things. As I penetrate the Laramie Plains, the persistent sagebrush that has constantly hovered around my path for the last thousand miles grows beautifully less, and the short, nutritious buffalo grass is creeping everywhere. In Carbon, where I arrive after dark, I mention, among other things, in reply to the usual volley of questions, the fact of having to foot it so great a proportion of the way through the mountain country, and shortly afterward, from among a group of men, I hear a voice, thick and husky, with valley tan, remark, "'Faith, I could ride a bicycle meself across the country, av yees lit me wallock at a foot.' and straightaway a luminous bunch of shamrocks dangled from a brief moment in the air, and then vanished. After passing Medicine Bow Valley and Como Lake, I find some good rideable road, the surface being hard gravel, and the plains high and dry. Reaching the brow of one of those rocky ridges that hereabouts divide the plains into so many shallow basins, I find myself suddenly within a few paces of a small herd of antelope, peacefully grazing on the other side of the narrow ridge, all unconscious of the presence of one of creation's alleged proud lords. 
my ever-handy revolver rings out clear and sharp on the mountain air and the startled antelope go bounding across the plain in a succession of quick jerky jumps peculiar to that nimble animal but ere they have travelled a hundred yards one of them lags behind and finally staggers and lays down on the grass as i approach him he makes a gallant struggle to rise and make off after his companions but the effort is too much for him and coming up to him i quickly put him out of pain by a shot behind the ear this makes a proud addition to my hitherto rather small list of game which now comprises jack-rabbits a badger a fierce gosling an antelope and a thin attenuated coyote that i bowled over in utah from this ridge an extensive view of the broad billowy plains and surrounding mountains is obtained elk mountain still seems close at hand its towering form marking the western limits of the medicine bow range whose dark pine-clad slopes form the western border of the plains back of them to the west is the snowy range towering in ghostly grandeur as far above the timber-clad summits of the medicine bow range as these latter are above the grassy plains at their base to the south more snowy mountains stand out against the sky like white tracery on a blue ground with long's peak and fremont's peak towering head and shoulders above them all the rattlesnake range with laramie peak rearing its ten thousand feet of rugged grandeur to the clouds are visible to the north on the east is the black hills range the last chain of the rockies and now the only barrier intervening between me and the broad prairies that roll away eastward to the missouri river and the states a genuine laramie plains rainstorm is hovering overhead as i pull out of rock creek after dinner and in a little while the performance begins there is nothing of the gentle pattering shower about a rain and windstorm on these elevated plains it comes on with a blow and a bluster that threatens to take one off his feet the rain is dashed about in the air by the wild blustering wind and comes from all directions at the same time while you are frantically hanging on to your hat the wind playfully unbuttons your rubber coat and lifts it up over your head and flaps the wet muddy corners about in your face and eyes in air you can disentangle your features from the cold uncomfortable embrace of the wet mackintosh the rain which falls upward as well as down and sidewise and every other way has wet you through up as high as the armpits and then the gentle zephyrs complete your discomfiture by purloining your hat and making off across the sodden plain with it at a pace that defies pursuit the storm winds up in a pelting shower of hailstones round chunks of ice that cause me to wince whenever one makes a square hit and they strike the steel spokes of the bicycle and make them produce harmonious sounds trundling through cooper lake basin after dark i get occasional glimpses of mysterious shadowy objects flitting hither and thither through the dusky pall around me the basin is full of antelope and my presence here in the darkness fills them with consternation their keen scent and instinctive knowledge of a strange presence warn them of my proximity and as they cannot see me in the darkness they are flitting about in wild alarm stopping for the night at lookout i make an early start in order to reach laramie city for dinner these laramie plains can smile and look pretty when they choose and as i bowl along over a fairly good road this sunday morning they certainly choose 
the laramie river on my left the medicine bow and snowy ranges black and white respectively towering aloft to the right and the intervening plains dotted with herds of antelope complete a picture that can be seen nowhere save on the laramie plains reaching a swell of the plains that almost rises to the dignity of a hill i can see the nickel-plated wheels of the laramie wheelmen glistening in the sunlight on the opposite side of the river several miles from where i stand they have come out a few miles to meet me but have taken the wrong side of the river thinking i had crossed below rock creek the members of the laramie bicycle club are the first wheelmen i have seen since leaving california and as i am personally acquainted at laramie it is needless to dwell on my reception at their hands the rambles of the laramie club are well known to the cycling world from the many interesting letters from the graphic pen of their captain mr owen who with two other members once took a tour on their wheels to the yellowstone national park they have some very good natural roads around laramie but in their rambles over the mountains these rough riders of the rockies necessarily take risks that are unknown to their fraternal brethren farther east tuesday morning i pull out to scale the last range that separates me from the plains popularly known as such and upon arriving at the summit i pause to take a farewell view of the great and wonderful intermountain country across whose mountains plains and deserts i have been traveling in so novel a manner for the last month the view from where i stand is magnificent i sublime beyond human power to describe and well calculated to make an indelible impression on the mind of one gazing upon it perhaps for the last time the laramie plains extend northward and westward like a billowy green sea Emerging from a black canyon behind Jelm Mountain, the Laramie River winds its serpentine course in a northeast direction, until lost to view behind the abutting mountains of the range, on which I now stand, receiving tribute in its course from the Little Laramie and numbers of smaller streams that emerge from the mountainous bulwarks forming the western border of the marvelous picture now before me. The unusual rains have filled the numberless depressions of the plains with ponds and lakelets, that in their green setting glisten and glimmer in the bright morning sunshine like gems a train is coming from the west winding around among them as if searching out the most beautiful and finally halts at laramie city which nestles in their midst the fairest gem of them all the gem of the rockies sheep mountain the embodiment of all that is massive and indestructible juts boldly and defiantly forward as though its mission were to stand guard over all that lies to the west the medicine bow range is now seen to greater advantage and a bald mountain top here and there protrudes above the dark forests timidly as if ashamed of its nakedness our old friend elk mountain is still in view a stately and magnificent pile serving as a landmark for a hundred miles around beyond all this to the west and south a good hundred miles away are the snowy ranges their hoary peaks of glistening purity penetrating the vast blue dome above like monarchs in royal vestments robed still others are seen white and shadowy stretching away down into colorado peak beyond peak ridge beyond ridge until lost in the impenetrable distance as i lean on my bicycle on this mountain top drinking in the glorious scene 
and inhaling the ozone-laden air looking through the loopholes of recent experiences in crossing the great wonderland to the west its strange intermingling of forest-clad hills and grassy valleys its barren rocky mountains and dreary desolate plains its vast snowy solitudes and its sunny sylvan nooks the no less strange intermingling of people the wandering redskin with his pathetic history the feverishly hopeful prospector toiling and searching for precious metals locked in the eternal hills and the wild and free cowboy who mounted on his wiry bronco roams these plains and mountains free as the arab of the desert i heave a sigh as i realize that no tongue or pen of mine can hope to do the subject justice my road is now over cheyenne pass and from this point is mostly downgrade to cheyenne soon i come to a naturally smooth granite surface which extends for twelve miles where i have to keep the brake set most of the distance and the constant friction heats the brake spoon and scorches the rubber tire black tonight i reach cheyenne where i find a bicycle club of twenty members and where the fame of my journey from san francisco draws such a crowd on the corner where i alight that a blue-coated guardian of the city sidewalks requests me to saunter on over to the hotel do i yes i saunter over the cheyenne cops are bold bad men to trifle with they have to be bold bad men to trifle with or the wild wicked cowboys would come in and paint the city red altogether too frequently it is the morning of june fourth as i bid farewell to the magic city and turning my back to the mountains ride away over very fair roads toward the rising sun i am not long out before meeting with that characteristic feature of a scene on the western plains a prairie schooner and meeting prairie schooners will now be a daily incident of my eastward journey many of these pilgrims come from the backwoods of missouri and arkansas or the rural districts of some other western state where the persevering but at present circumscribed cycler has not yet had time to penetrate and the bicycle is therefore to them a wonder to be gazed at and commented on generally it must be admitted in language more fluent as to words than in knowledge of the subject discussed not far from where the trail leads out of crow creek bottom on to the higher tableland i find the grassy plain smoother than the wagon trail and bowl along for a short distance as easily as one could wish but not for long is this permitted the ground becomes covered with a carpeting of small loose cacti that stick to the rubber tire with the clinging tenacity of a cucklebur to a mule's tail of course they scrape off again as they come round to the bridge of the fork but it isn't the tire picking them up that fills me with lynx-eyed vigilance and alarm it is the dreaded possibility of taking a header among these awful vegetables that unnerves one starts the cold chills chasing each other up and down my spinal column and causes starring big beads of perspiration to ooze out of my forehead no more appalling physical calamity on a small scale could befall a person than to take a header onto a cactus-covered greensward millions of miniature needles would fill his tender hide with prickly sensations and his vision with floating stars it would perchance cast clouds of gloom over his whole life henceforth he would be a solemn-visaged bilious-eyed needle-cushion among men and would never smile again i once knew a young man named whipple who sat down on a bunch of these cacti at a picnic in virginia dale wyoming and he never smiled again
two meek-eyed maidens of the Rockies invited him to come and take a seat between them on a thin, innocuous-looking layer of hay. Smilingly poor, unsuspecting Whipple accepted the invitation. Jokingly, he suggested that it would be a rose between two thorns. But immediately he sat down, he became convinced that it was the liveliest thorn, or rather millions of thorns, between two roses. Of course, the two meek-eyed maidens didn't know it was there. How should they? But all the same, he never smiled again. Not on them. At the section house, where I call for dinner, I make the mistake of leaving the bicycle behind the house. And the woman takes me for an uncommercial traveler. Yes, a tramp. She snaps out, We can't feed everybody that comes along, and shuts the door in my face. Yesterday I was the center of admiring crowds in the richest city of its size in America. Today I am mistaken for a hungry-eyed tramp, and spurned from the door by a woman with a faded calico dress and a wrathy, what are look in her eye. Such is life in the far west. Gradually the Rockies have receded from my range of vision, and I am alone on the boundless prairie. There is a feeling of utter isolation at finding oneself alone on the plains that is not experienced in the mountain country. There is something tangible and companionable about a mountain, but here, where there is no object in view anywhere, nothing but the boundless level plains stretching away on every hand as far as the eye can reach, I and all around, whichever way one looks, nothing but the green carpet below and the cerulean arch above. One feels that he is the sole occupant of a vast region of otherwise unoccupied space. This evening, while fording Pole Creek with the bicycle, my clothes and shoes all at the same time, the latter fall in the river. And in my wild scramble after the shoes, I drop some of the clothes. Then I drop the machine in my effort to save the clothes, and wind up falling down in the water with everything. Everything is fished out again, all right, but a sad change has come over the clothes and shoes. This morning I was mistaken for a homeless, friendless wanderer. This evening, as I stand on the bank of Pole Creek, with nothing over me but a thin mantle of native modesty, and ruefully wring the water out of my clothes, I feel considerably like one. Pine Bluffs provides me with shelter for the night, and a few miles' travel next morning takes me across the boundary line into Nebraska. My route leads down Pole Creek, with rideable roads probably half the distance, and low rocky bluffs lining both sides of the narrow valley and leading up to high rolling prairie beyond. Over these rocky bluffs the Indians were wont to stampede herds of buffalo which, falling over the precipitous bluffs, would be killed by hundreds, thus procuring an abundance of beef for the long winter. There are no buffalo here now. They have departed with the Indians, and I shall never have a chance to add a bison to my game list on this tour. But they have left plenty of tangible evidence behind, in the shape of numerous deeply worn trails leading from the bluffs to the creek. The prairie hereabouts is spangled with a wealth of diverse-colored flowers that fill the morning air with gratifying perfume. The air is soft and balmy in striking contrast to the chilly atmosphere of early morning in the mountain country, where the accumulated snows of a thousand winters exert their chilling influence in opposition to the benign rays of old Sol. 
this evening i passed through prairie dog city the largest congregation of prairie dog dwellings met with on the tour the city covers hundreds of acres of ground and the dogs come out in such multitudes to present their noisy and excitable protests against my intrusion that i consider myself quite justified in shooting at them i hit one old fellow fair and square but he disappears like a flash down his hole which now becomes his grave the lightning-like movements of the prairie dog and his instinctive inclination toward his home combine to perform the last sad rites of burial for his body at death as toward dark i near potter station where i expect accommodation for the night a storm comes howling from the west and it soon resolves into a race between me and the storm with a good rideable road i could win the race but being handicapped with an unrideable trail nearly obscured beneath tall rank grass the storm overtakes me and comes in at potter station a winner by about three hundred lengths in the morning i start out in good season and nearing sydney the road becomes better and i sweep into that enterprising town at a becoming pace i conclude to remain at sydney for dinner and pass the remainder of the forenoon visiting the neighboring fort End of chapter 3 of Through Mormon Land and Over the Rockies, part 2 Recording by Pamela Krantz